I've been in this industry since the mid 90s. I've seen everything come and go. It's like fashion trends. It's the same thing with diet and fitness. It really is. It's the same exact thing. So I'm like, oh, like I've been down this road before. The keto diet, that's a whole, looks a whole lot like Atkins. And the carnivore diet, well, that looks kind of like basically a lot like the same because people aren't even looking at the large amount of fat they're getting from all of the meat-based they're eating. Okay. Like we've seen, we've been down this road before. Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dachis-Marmet. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hello, and welcome back to the Art of Living Well podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. But before we dive into our episode, we have a couple of quick announcements. The first is that our next seven-day functional medicine liver detox is quickly approaching on Sunday, June 11th, just over a week away. And for those of you who have been listening to us for a while, you know we run these quarterly, and it's truly an amazing community that is supportive and allows you to prioritize yourself, your health goals, thinking through how you want to feel. You're going to walk away from that seven days feeling so proud of yourself, in addition to likely having you know significant reduction in cravings, increase in your energy, improved digestion, reduced bloating. And we even had one recent detox participant whose partner noticed that they stopped snoring after being on the detox, which is pretty amazing. And we've timed this detox so that you can kick off summer. It's before Father's Day, which this could make a very good gift for the fathers in your lives. And you'll just have, you'll be on a great path for the rest of summer so that you can still enjoy yourself and all the social gatherings that come with summer, but still maintain those healthy habits that you have. So click the link in our show notes to sign up. You can head over to our website. Of course, message us either on Instagram or send us an email with any questions that you have. You can start a few days before or a few days after and still be part of the community. And not only will you receive coaching from Marnie and myself, then we're going to you know, help you every step of the way, but you'll also be supported by like-minded people in our community. Marnie and I are very excited to share today's amazing guest for the second time. Dr. Stephen Cabral is back on our show He is one of our teachers, as we are both level one and level two integrative health practitioners. And Dr. Cabral first came on our podcast during the first six months back in episode number 16, which we've linked in our show notes. And we're really excited to have him back on today. So as a little background for him, Dr. Cabral developed his passion for health and wellness after going through severe health complications at the age of 17. He saw over 50 doctors, tried over 100 different treatment protocols, but still saw no hope for recovery. And it wasn't until he met an alternative health doctor whom explained to him how he got here and how he could become well again that he began his own recovery process. And it was at this very young age that Dr. Cabral knew that his life would be dedicated to helping others rebalance their bodies and renew their health. 
His mission is to help people understand that there is always a reason why you have not achieved your ideal wellness or weight loss goals and that you can and will get well again. This is such an inspiring conversation. We talk about a a potpourri of topics, all related to longevity and health span and being able to add quality years to your life. So in today's episode, you will learn the five health-related reasons that people die early before the age of 100 and what you can do to mitigate these risks starting today. Marnie and I have both shared many times on this podcast how we both desire to live to 100, and we both learned a ton and have even more hope that we'll be able to achieve that goal with all of Dr. Cabral's insights. We talk about how to mitigate the root cause of Alzheimer's disease. Dr. Cabral shares the mortality lab tests that he recommends everyone conduct annually by the age of 50 or sooner. And these tests for many different markers that can indicate indicate the presence of a variety of chronic conditions, including cancer. And we also will discuss protein, which we know has been discussed before on this show. And he shares his view on how much protein you should consume based on your individual goals. It's definitely not a one-size-fits-all. We'll talk about the benefits of intermittent fasting, especially for women, and how to gradually ease into a routine that works for your own unique body type. And then there's also a very motivational component to this episode, which is something that Dr. Cabral does on his own podcast on a weekly basis, and really why making harder choices today will allow you to live an easier life in the future, one free from chronic disease and the disabilities that often come with aging. This conversation is packed full of inspiration, motivation, and tips for you to live a long and healthy life if you want to. And so with that, let's jump right into this conversation with Dr. Stephen Cabral. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, Good Health Saunas. I have had my Good Health Sauna for over a year now, and you guys, I love it so much. From the moment of purchase to the delivery and setup, Good Health Sauna staff, they've been absolutely amazing. They've answered all my questions. They did a great job with the setup. And I have started this routine where I'm working out in the morning, I'm taking a sauna, I'm showering, I'm refreshed, and I feel great for the day. And I just feel relaxed during the day. I'm sleeping better at night. And I feel like I'm really adding to my overall health and happiness. And I'm also removing toxins from my body. And I feel amazing. Infrared saunas produce penetrating heat to help you sweat and heal your body from the inside. Sweating on a regular basis in your good health sauna can help you feel rejuvenated. There are so many health benefits of regular infrared sauna use that include detoxification, immune system support, muscle repair, chronic pain relief, relaxation, deeper sleep, and so much more. I've been using my sauna now regularly for the last several weeks and love how relaxed I feel, especially when I do it in the evening as part of my routine. It really helps me unwind from the day and improve my sleep. So why not bring the benefits and convenience of the sauna experience into your home with a commercial grade Good Health Sauna? Good Health Sauna has three stores, one at the Mall of America in Minnesota and two in Wisconsin, in Appleton and Waukesha, but they ship anywhere in the US. For more information on the various sizes and options and for your special offer for all of our listeners, head on over to their website, www.goodhealthsaunas with an S, and mention the Art of Living Well podcast. Hi, Dr. Cabral. Stephanie and I are so excited to have you back on our show today. And, you know, we're both IHP1s and IHP2. 
P2s and we've been following and listening to you and following your protocols with our own clients and our community for such a long time now. And so we thought it would be fun to have you on and just talk about a potpourri of different topics that we are really interested in talking more about. And so we're going to dive in. But before we get started, one thing we like to ask all of our guests is, what is one non-negotiable that you have each day as you start your day? For me, it's uh, my AM routine before the rest of my family is up. And so, you know, having that in my life forces me then to do other things even the night before in order to be able to have that hour because it's really on me. Everybody can have their own time in the morning if they want. What it requires though is to wake up a little bit earlier. So I always recommend, hey, start with 20 minutes. 20 minutes allows you to read a few pages of your favorite book or to journal or to listen to music or meditation, whatever it is that kind of lights you up. And so I've gradually made it an hour. So I wake up an hour before my two daughters have to wake up. And that enables me then to have my time. So if I have my time in the morning, then I can try to do my best to serve, whether it's our community, um, clients, my family later in the day. And so that just allows me to take care of what I need. And then everybody, I can try to take care of their needs after. That's so inspirational. And Marnie and I talked a lot about morning routine and we love hearing you know, what other people are doing in the morning as well. So we know you were on episode 16, where you shared your story and your background. So we encourage all of our listeners, if you didn't uh, listen to that episode, to go back to hear Dr. Cabral's journey. But we would love for you to share maybe a little bit how you've evolved over the last couple of years since you were on the podcast and specifically like what you're studying and what you're learning and what you're seeing with your clients. Yeah, absolutely. And so the big thing for us is that our protocols haven't really changed in terms of like mold protocol, functional medicine detox, heavy metal. Although I will say there will be a new mold and heavy metal protocol in June. And the only reason is, is the ingredients haven't changed. It's the way in which we implement those makes it easier because we're reaching more and more children as well. And so what we want to be able to do is every adult protocol has to in some way then be able to be used for children minus a couple, you know, such as the functional medicine detox, which you really need to wait till about 16 years old, you know, or so. So what we've now done though, more of, because if, if we look at this, um, everyone goes through certain, uh, a certain journey in their health-based transformation. So typically, like it might start with weight loss or weight gain for some individuals, then they want to work on maybe if there's autoimmune or high blood pressure, high cholesterol, migraines, fatigue, et cetera. Um, and so then you start to work on the wellness part of it. And I think that's you know really where IHPs shine. And then after that, though, like what about for the three of us? What about for your clients that are now well? What are they supposed to do? And so we've really moved into the life extension anti-aging realm, which has been my field of study for the last five years or so. So I've been doing this a very long time, since about 1996, 1997. And for me, once you work through as a clinician, seeing hundreds of thousands of people, making sure that what you're doing is replicable. That means when someone comes to you, you can make sure that it works pretty much every single time. And if it doesn't, you know what needs to be tweaked. But then after that, it's like, hey, let's have some fun instead of having to overcome something now. Let's actually move more towards something than away from something. And so that's our new high-performance health uh, course and certification that we're now teaching people, and this is real world, this is science-backed, how to add another 15 years to 25 years to their life 
So the average life expectancy right now in the US is about 75 years old. We believe that everybody can live to about 100 years old right now. And over the next 10 to 15 years, there'll be breakthroughs to improve health span, the number of years you stay healthy longer and lifespan as well. So that's my current uh, focus of, of our work. Which I'm so excited about this topic and I'm hoping to, I, I couldn't manage with what I have going on in my life to take the course this time, but I'm hoping the next time around I'll be taking that course. But as I just turned 50, like a week ago, anti-aging is very much on my mind and longevity and all of that. And I'm wondering, like, what are some top things that you can tell our listeners as people, you know, are heading into their 50s, 60s, 70s, and they are starting at a, you know, healthy baseline and they just want to live to be 100 and do all the things that they love to do? Yeah. So the best thing I tell people is this, is that their mortality and dying is actually not a mystery. And so I'd like to take the fear out of that for people first. So there are five main reasons, and really only five, why people die at an early age, meaning before 100. And the number one reason is heart disease. And so basically, if the blood can't pump through your heart or arteries, you can't, you're not going to live, right? So like that's, that's the big one. Okay. The second one is high blood pressure, and that can lead to stroke and aneurysms and, and heart attacks as well. Because if there's, again, if you can't pump blood through your heart, then that's going to be an issue. The third one is type 2 diabetes. The fourth one is cancer. And the fifth one is Alzheimer's. Now, you're not, people are worried about Alzheimer's because that's, again, they feel like it's out of their control. Keep in mind that there's no way you're getting Alzheimer's if you don't have heart disease, you don't have high blood pressure, and you don't have type 2 diabetes. Because Alzheimer's is essentially what they call type 3 diabetes. There are many different reasons for it, but it doesn't sneak up on you overnight. It's 20 to 25 years ahead of time. You can actually see the numbers moving in a specific direction. So we know how to not only uh, find heart disease and cure it, like meaning like rebalance the body and underlying root cause mechanism, we can do that. We can do the same for high blood pressure. Like there's just no doubt about it. And it also doesn't sneak up in you. Nobody goes from a normal 120 over 80 or 110 over you know 70 to 150 over 100. Like that doesn't happen overnight. And so, and if it does, it's typically from an infection, virus, et cetera, and that's going to be passing most likely. So we know how to fix that. The next one's type 2 diabetes. Everybody reverse type 2 diabetes. Like that's not an issue. It's not, these things are going to happen overnight, but you can certainly reverse these things in about three to six months. Okay. So the next one's cancer. What do we do for cancer? Well, we try to live a cancer-free lifestyle, but yes, there's exposure. All of us are exposed to things that we can't even see in the air. So what do we do? Now we have early detection tests that can detect cancer at stage one, which was never able to be done before. And so these lab tests and, and uh, MRIs can be done on an annual basis to make sure that you don't have cancer. And if cancer, if you start to see it forming early, well, that, that's when it's treatable by like 80 to 90%. So it's e then it's easy to cure. Okay, so we've got that. And the last part then is Alzheimer's. And as I said, Alzheimer's is just not sneaking up on you. There's standard blood work you can run. There's full body uh, MRI, which is going to look at the brain as well, the vasculature. So you'll be able to catch that. And those are, so if we know that we can reverse all of those, but because by the way, even if you're diagnosed with Alzheimer's, a study not too long ago showed that nine out of 10 people reversed their Alzheimer's or halted it in its tracks. And the only person who didn't had terminal Alzheimer's and they waited just way too long to begin these specific protocols. So that should give people peace of mind that you're, you've got a lot of life to live. 
as long as you, and this is a big part of the mindset of aging, you want to. That's such a big part of it. Some people want to stay active and love life and have passion well into their, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s. And, and some people don't. Like it's just a different mentality. So if you have the mentality that you want to live a long, healthy life, you can do that for sure. Wow. Well, One of just, both Marnie and I both want to live to 100. So that's our goal. And so this is so inspiring to know that, you know, we can do things preventatively and just so many questions based on what you said. Like, I didn't realize that there were some actual tests and blood work and markers that you could look at, you know, for, I think you said for cancer and for Alzheimer's and. Sorry, we call those the 10 mortality tests. We're renaming it the 10 vitality tests. Um, Yes, that is, that's actually for all of those. So it's testing for heart disease, high blood pressure, type two diabetes, cancer, and Alzheimer's. So we, we, uh, it's these aren't our labs, by the way. So you know, as IHPs, we don't own any of the labs. What we do is right. we recommend great. That's the whole thing about high performance health. It's saying there's so much in this industry. I mean, the two of you are at the top of the industry, and some of these things that you still don't know about, right? Because they're so cutting edge, like they're brand new. And like, who knew that you could scan for uh, aneurysms in your brain, right? Or you know, or aortic yeah. aneurysms. And these are easy things to do. Some of the lab tests are only 159 dollars, and I know that's like no money, but like meaning like it's it is money, like it costs money, but 159 dollars to scan for some of these things is incredible. So what we're trying to do is just make people aware of this because those are the reasons why you die at 75 years old on average. Like that's the truth because the other ones, if you look down the list of why people die, kidney disease. Okay. You're not dying of kidney disease unless you're on high blood pressure medication, diuretics, or you have diabetes most likely. And then there's COPD. Well, you're not dying of COPD unless you're a smoker. And they say, well, no other people can get COPD. They can. And when you look at the reason why someone gets COPD if they're not a smoker is that they were exposed to secondhand smoke. And so it's like, once you start to understand and look at these things, you realize then after that it's accidents. It's literally falls. And like, people think like, you know, I'm joking around when I say that, but, but I'm not like, so then you have to look at, don't put yourself in harm's way. Don't ride a motorcycle. Like that's like, that's a big one. No matter how fun, you know, enjoyable you think that it is the human body can't stand up against a 5,000 pound, you know, truck moving into your lane. And also like, Fall's a big one. Don't climb up on a 15 foot ladder. Like if you're not an expert, like literally don't do that. There's no need, you know, like pay someone please to do your roofing, to do whatever it is. Cause those are also literally how people end up dying. And that's too bad because that's just an accident. Accidents in in life do happen. But if you can cut those down, then you only have to worry about the big ones that we spoke about. When you mentioned those like cancer marker tests specifically, how, how does that affect a person's life? Like to know, because from what I understand, cancer can grow for like 20 plus years. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's not found until much later. So if someone's finding a cancer, a really early detected cancer, um, it, as these tests come more available and it, maybe this is just like your opinion, but how does that change someone's quality of life? Like, do they then go through like a traditional Western medicine treatment? Are they taking these tests kind of on their own or with a functional medicine doctor? Or like, what does that look like? Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, uh, it does. Yeah. So all of these, what we do, you know, as well inside of HPH is we just open source all of this to the general public, just like we do for all of the Equalife labs at IHP. It's just like, you can run any lab in the world that you want now. Like I, I see that. And the reason is that there's some doctor out there willing to sign off in these labs to to help people. And that's the truth. And so 
what we're looking for is many of these uh, cancers, just like you said, it's 10 years, 15 years, you know, in the making, uh, especially colon cancer. Like that's one that just grows slowly. Prostate cancer, same thing. So what do we want to do? Well, we want to find those at stage one. And the reason is, is that, like I said, it's, it's, not only 80 to 90%, it's typically higher. There's a couple that kind of bring that average down like pancreatic cancer, right? That's a more uh, aggressive and dangerous one. But, but still, again, a lot of times curable, like there's still a cure rate for that. So if you find it in stage one, it also gives you the ability to have a moment to think about how am I going to treat this? Because if you're stage three or stage four, it's going to be harder for you to say, hey, I only want to use natural methodologies, right? Because it's like, you've let this go and it wasn't your fault. You didn't find it. Your doctors didn't find it. And the reason is doctors only test for like three to five cancers on typical blood work. That's it. And so it's hard to find them. But with the new labs and the new MRIs, you can find it at a much earlier rate. And that should then allow you to do whatever you feel is best for you. And sometimes it's a combination. And I'm not here to you know, tell people what to do in order to save their life except for the fact that you'll have multiple options. You should get three to five opinions, and then you should do what you feel is best for you. But the nice thing is in stage one, the likelihood that you overcome that is very, very high. And then our goal is just to make sure that you never get it in the first place. So get your first labs done. Then when you do them, you're cancer-free. Okay, great. Now follow the protocols to make sure that you stay cancer-free, hopefully for life. I always tell people though, that cancer is the only wild card. It is because- you can, you can not get Alzheimer's, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, and heart disease. But cancer, you don't always know what you're exposed to. That's the problem because most mm-hmm. of them are invisible, right? People don't know what, because now I realize people not, may not know what that means. It's like, okay, invisible is pesticides, chemicals in the environment, chemicals in your water. You know, there's a new city every two, three months that they end up finding something in their water, right? So it's like, you don't know that those things are in your water. You don't know that they're on your food. And so that's what I mean by invisible because it's microscopic chemicals from the environment, uh, even something like glyphosate that we know can cause cancer over time. And I know you had a recent episode, we don't have to dive into it on glyphosate. glyphosate. And Mm -hmm. I think there's still a lot of people out there though that don't really think that there are chemicals in their water and they're still drinking their tap water. And they're still, you know, eating foods contaminated with chemical pesticides. So I just want to throw that out there for everyone that that is an area, you know, to dive into in order to help from a preventative standpoint, in addition to these labs that you're talking about, which is super interesting. Um, I want to do all these. I'm like, what, is there any age that you think like a minimum age that people that you'd recommend if someone is really focused on longevity and, you know, living that healthy life till hundred? You have to do them at 50 and beyond. Like you just have to, okay. that's actually what the science is showing now. It used to be like more like mid forties to early forties, but well, this is for people that are thinking about health in general. Like if you're not living a healthy life, oh, well then you should do it way earlier. But if you're someone who's living a pretty healthy life, you know, minimum of 50, I'm trying to get people to start it at 40 years old. So at 40 years old, you have your annual checkup because by 40, hopefully there should be nothing right? Like it should be absolutely nothing. Okay. So it, now there will be a little bit of plaque buildup for just people understanding that. Like it's, if you haven't always been following a healthy nutrition plan and exercise, et cetera, probably have a little bit of plaque. Okay. So now you can do something about that naturally as well. So if you start at 40 and every year you just go through these 10, you know, vitality tests and you give yourself a check mark, they all look good. Nothing's sneaking up on you. Like that's the nice thing. And so now you don't have to worry about your next year's 
labs or exams because the likelihood that there'll be anything is so low, especially if you're following the healthy protocols. It's kind of funny. I actually have my 50-year physical later today. (laughs) Like with my Western medicine doctor. Yes. And I'm just like in my head thinking about, you know, what tests or labs I want her to run while I'm there. Well, and typically for your annual physical, and that's that you should have that run. Absolutely. That is part of it because they're, you know, they're going to do a cursory overview of like melanomas, skin issues. Like they're going to start to look at like the basics, but the blood work is rudimentary, right? So you just get the basic blood work. They're not going to run high sensitivity CRP. They're probably not even going to run your vitamin D levels. They're just not going to do anything beyond a basic lipid profile. They're not going to look at your what's called apolipoprotein little a and uh, apolipoprotein B100, which are like when we run our inflammation lab, the two of you know this, you run omega-6s and omega-3s. Think of that as omega-6s are LDL and omega-3s are HDL. It's a good way to look at it. But if you don't run the arachidonic acid, that's the let's look at that as apolipoprotein little a, and you don't run the apolipoprotein B, the 100, then you don't actually, you can't refine that. You don't know enough about what may be affecting you because the little a is basically the most inflammatory. You want that very low and the apol B, you know, you want a better ratio. And so anyway, this is not within the wheelhouse of most conventional medicine doctors. They just were never trained in this. So that's why people really need to take their, that's sick care, right? We all know it's sick care. For healthcare, you need to take health in your own hands, work with an IHP, work with an HPH. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one other thing you mentioned as we were talking about high performance health and longevity is Alzheimer's. And you said you can reverse Alzheimer's. And I, so I've been reading a lot about the connection between high blood sugar and Alzheimer's. There's been a lot coming out recently about that. And maybe it's been out there for a long time, but I've been keyed into it recently. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious if you see that connection yourself. And if you think that you know, keeping your blood sugar more in the stable range, not having diabetes, whatever does, you know, keep you from developing Alzheimer's if you see that connection. Well, science is referring to Alzheimer's now as type three diabetes. So there's definitely a connection. The the problem is that it's not just blood sugar. So Alzheimer's is metabolic disease of the brain. So if you look at it, what's metabolic disease? It is high oxidized cholesterol high triglycerides, high blood pressure, and high blood sugar. That's metabolic syndrome, right? And so if you have that, the likelihood you will develop the same exact thing in your brain is highly likely because your brain is not detached from the rest of your body. And you know, cortisol, high cortisol plays a factor. Heavy metals plays a factor. So there's not one thing that causes Alzheimer's. It's a uh, oxidative stress catabolic issue inside of the brain where the amyloid plaque begins to build up. And a lot of this is in the neural synapses, which are the connections between thoughts or electricity in the brain, they begin to become destroyed. And so that's where their short-term memory loss and, and other issues you know, can begin to happen. So there's not, it's, it's multifactorial, just like everything else. Like heart disease is not just caused by cholesterol, right? And some people can have high cholesterol somewhere in the 200s and it doesn't seem to be an issue, but their issue might be plaque buildup, inflammation, et cetera. And so there's, you know, high cortisol. These, these are all other factors. And, you know, something that I think about 
I've been thinking about during this conversation is just the role that genetics plays in this, because I hear from a lot of friends or family who have various, you know, these chronic illnesses that we've been talking about, and they just default to their genetics. And if they go see a doctor and they have high cholesterol, they're like, oh, well, it's genetics. So I just need to go on a statin or some other pharmaceutical. So I'd love to share, I'd love, I'd love for you to share your thoughts on that. And like, just to provide people again with the hope, like all these things that you're talking about are, you know, preventable. I mean, and, and what your view is on the epigenetics and all yeah, that. Genetics is a real thing. So, I mean, you're, you are genetically predisposed to certain imbalances in life. And so some people are more genetically predisposed to higher cholesterol, higher blood pressure, higher blood sugar, right? The hires of those, as well as autoimmune issues. And you might consider that a higher imbalance of the immune system. The problem is they all have underlying root causes and just means that everyone in your family is more susceptible to that specific underlying root cause, which then can be fixed. So like, just to give you an example, and I'm only one person, I'm genetically predisposed to low HDL, which is the good cholesterol. I'm just going to keep it at, we'll keep it at good cholesterol today. I'm genetically predisposed to rheumatoid arthritis. I'm genetically predisposed to diabetes. And lo and behold, when I was 17 years old, I had HDL of a 29. It should be at least a 49, especially as a teenager, right? I'm genetically predisposed to higher oxidized cholesterol. Okay. Mine was like a 130 for LDL. It should be below 100. And then I'm also genetically predisposed to that rheumatoid arthritis, autoimmune issue. Had that at 17. Also had type 2 diabetes. Okay. So that's in my genetics. All four of my grandparents had it. Both of my parents had it. Was I ever escaping it? I don't know. I got it. And now I don't have it and haven't had it now for almost 20 years. So what I'm saying is genetics matter, but they all have an underlying root cause. My underlying root cause was multiple gut issues. So candida overgrowth, yeast overgrowth, SIBO, which is bacterial overgrowth or an imbalance in H. pylori. Plus I had really high levels of stress, really bad allergies, heavy metals like mercury, et cetera. So brought down the mercury, rebalanced my gut. Again, these things didn't happen overnight. And then all of a sudden, I didn't work specifically on autoimmune. I didn't work specifically on diabetes uh, or any of the other issues, and they all went away. And so what I'm sharing with people is that, yes, genetics matter, but don't let your doctor allow you to have an excuse that it's just genetics, not if you want to take back control of your health. Now, most people don't, which is unfortunate, but because only because that's how they've been raised through our culture. And so it is a shift in mindset to actually believe that you can take control of your own health, especially when everybody's telling you that you can't. It takes a special individual to do that. It really does. It's not easy. Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny that you say that because I feel like as, as I'm, you know, hitting those middle years, I'm coming across more and more people that are just like, I'm just going to take the drug. My doctor told me, I don't, I don't have time to work on all those things, or I don't want to work on all those things. I just want the quick fix. And I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking, like, that's not the way you want to go. That's not going to help you long-term, but easy I have- choices lead to a hard life. Hard choices lead to an easy life. Yes. The problem is the hard choices <laughs> are hard in the beginning and easy for the rest of your life. Right. And the easy choices are easy right now and then lead to a very hard life. And it is hard. I have kids, you have kids, like it, there's a lot going on. We run businesses, all these different things. We're trying to help people. But at the end of the day, you are trading this moment now that you get to have an easier life for a really hard two decades ahead. Because those people on a statin, again, you can look this up. On average, they help about like one in 
83, I think it was, one in 90 or so, like where they would actually then extend life a little bit. The odds are not all that phenomenal. I think it's like the biggest benefit to people who go on a statin are those people that have cholesterol well above 300. But again, you can fix that or you've already had a heart attack. But the problem is you can't wait to have a heart attack because you don't know if you're actually going to survive it. So I just don't think it's an easier life. I really don't, especially if you you want to see your kids grow up, your grandkids, all those things, and also your role model for the next generation. So do the hard things, show people you're willing to do the hard things, and they may then see you as an inspiration. Say, yeah, I'm going to do that too. A sibling of yours, a parent, kids, whatever it might be. So that's how I look at it. Again, it's not not for everybody, and I and I get that. But for those that it speaks to and that want it, it'll work for you. And now a quick shout out to our sponsor, Organifi. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than three grams of sugar per serving. I discovered Organifi about three years ago and fell in love with the gold chocolate blend, which I enjoy in the evenings. I love that it contains ashwagandha, which reduces stress and supports a healthy cortisol level. And it really gives me that fix when I want something chocolatey or sweet in the evening. And it's perfect and nice and calming before bed. And I'm really enjoying the Organifi green juice, which has a ton of superfoods in it. And it's so much easier than juicing. And it's also great if you struggle to get your greens in. Each Organifi blend is easy to use by simply mixing it with water. It's great on the go and there's no compromise in quality for taste. Organifi takes great pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high quality superfoods too by heading over to Organifi.com slash living well. That's O R G A N I F I.com slash living well and use our code living well for 20% off your entire order. Absolutely. And I think Stephanie and I can both attest to that because we've both made so many changes over the last, I don't know, seven or eight years. And I mean, it's amazing like how awesome we feel and how that's trickled out into our, the people around us. So, so we have both been dabbling in the CGM world, which is, you know, the continuous glucose monitors. And, you know, we, we run your quarterly liver detox quarterly with our community also. And it's been interesting. Sometimes Stephanie and I will put them on at the same time and our bodies will react so differently to the things that we're eating whether we're on a liver detox or not on a liver detox. And I'm just curious about your thoughts on CGMs and also about, you know, the, like what you think are some kind of top things a person can do to kind of keep their glucose in a stable range, knowing that it's very bio-individual. Yeah. And one of the things on a detox, is a little bit different because we have to understand that a detox is a stressor. So that's the thing. It's like, it's a stressor. So is exercise, right? So is sauna. These stressors, as you move through them, will make your body stronger. And that is why the first time you do a detox, you, you want to follow it to a T. 
But let's say you're just not able to. You get lightheaded, you get weak. Okay, you have dinner then the first night or lunch the second day. You do whatever you can do. But what happens is it's just like callousing the body. You made it through at that time. You start to then not just forget that you did the detox, but carry some things that you learned in the detox through the rest of your life. 12 weeks later, you do it again. Okay, this week, now you make it all the way to the night of day two and you have dinner day two. Okay, great. You carry more through. Now it's been six months. Now you go to do the next one, the next season, you make it all the way to lunch on the day three. Like that's how it should work for the body. The more, and it's different every detox. Like that's what I tell people too. If you get less sleep, if you're more stressed, you're more inflamed, your blood sugar in your body is going to react to that. And so what I tell people is that as CGM, um, even the foods that you eat can react differently based on the day. And so that's the amazing thing is that let's say you went for a walk first and then you had your typical breakfast. You'd have less, most likely of a glucose rise, right? Or even better, you had breakfast and you went for a walk afterwards. You'd have less of a glucose, uh, perennial glucose spike, right? So, you know, it's CGMs are great, but don't let it dictate everything that you're eating. Because also if you're in a spot right now where your body's not healthy, well, it's going to take about three to four months before you get a healthier response to glucose. Now it happens every week and in two weeks, you see a little bit of improvement, but what you do now does not, does not necessarily dictate what, to what you'll be able to do in nine months from now. We have a lot of people start with low carb, gradually build up their carbs. And a year later, now carbs might actually be the largest macro in their entire diet. And they can't believe it because their body, everybody's trying to become a fat burner. Great. But you should be able to burn glucose. Right? If you can't burn blood sugar, that's when you become diabetic. So the reason people have to try to become a fat burner is because they can no longer regulate glucose. Like that's the issue. I mean, as humans, it's way it'd be way easier in the wild to be able to get carbohydrates uh, than it would have been, you know, to catch, you know, an animal or find some type of fat source. Like that's that's just the truth. Yeah, and, and you know, kind of going on piggybacking off of what you started talking about with using fat for fuel versus glucose. Intermittent fasting is also such a big topic and continues to be. And we know you have talked about this many times on your podcast, but thinking specifically about women, you know, some people say it's wonderful and it's, you know, what everyone should be doing, but we also know it depends on where you are, you know, even in your cycle or whether you're pre or postmenopausal and age factors into this as well. So what are your thoughts on this topic? And, you know, kind of specifically maybe dissecting it between longevity versus weight loss in the short term, and what you you know recommend for sort of the the typical patient? Yeah. So what I want to say is you know intermittent fasting. I, I don't know that I could do more research on this one particular topic because I think it's the closest thing we have to the fountain of youth, right? So I believe in intermittent fasting wholeheartedly. The problem is that only in America or only in the West can we take something that's good for us and then make it bad for us, right? Like only <laughs> only we have the ability to do this. And now you can see the studies. People that skip breakfast, their all-cause mortality, meaning every reason for dying goes up by skipping breakfast. So I can no longer stop saying, I, I, I have to share that with people. Like, So I have a whole segment on intermittent fasting. And people are just overdoing it. One meal a day. Well, if three meals a day is good, two meals or one meal is even better, but it's not the case at all. And the people who are promoting this 
you know what, or again, like in their 20s or in their like early 30s, you can get away with anything when you're basically in your 20s. Like that's just the truth. You have more vital reserves. Now, if you look at the disposable soma theory on aging, you understand that the body's just going to keep pushing all of its resources in terms of vitality and health. Like that's the thing so that you can reproduce as a human to carry on this species, right? Like that's what nature does. That's part of why we age. And so everybody should do intermittent fasting. Literally, there's like less than 1% of people that shouldn't. And it's pregnant women, it's specific medical cases, and it's those with like hypoglycemia or adrenal issues. So everybody should do 12 hours. That's an intermittent fast. The problem is that people just are having dinner too late and then they're skipping then breakfast in the morning. The true intermittent fasting benefits come, stop eating when it gets dark out. And, and ideally that's around five or six at night. And I know that's difficult for most families because you've got you know, after school activities with the kids, or you're staying later at work. And so you like to have dinner closer to seven, eight o'clock. Okay. You know, if that's the case, then you can only get in 12 hours till like eight o'clock the next day, but also your sleep is going to suffer because you want to stop eating three to four hours before bed. And again, you don't have to take my word for it. You can just simply purchase any sleep tracker in the world and look what happens at your sleep. If you stop eating three to four hours before bed versus an hour before bed dramatic difference in heart rate variability, body temp drop, deep sleep, et cetera. So in an ideal world, people will do 12 to 16 hours, but the 16 hours doesn't come from skipping breakfast. It just comes from stopping eating around five or six at night and then starting it between like eight and 10 in the morning. And then that gets you 14 to 16 hours. My sweet spot for me is about 13 to 14 hours. And, and that's, again, what works for me, someone else's body, who's more of a like endomorph or kapha body type and they gain weight more easily. Yeah. They might want a full 16 hours. Totally get it. Don't disagree with that. They stop, they start eating around 10 AM. They have lunch around one or so they have dinner around five and, and that works for them as well. So I, we have heard from some other guests and other doctors that when you hit the, like, I think it's 17 hour mark, you start to get these you know, extra health benefits. And then when you go to the 24 hour mark, you get more health benefits. And then when you yes. go to like the three day water fast, which is, I know more extreme fasting versus intermittent fasting. But do you have thoughts on that? I have a whole podcast on the different phases of fasting. And I would, if you can definitely link that up um, because it's, mm-hmm. it's unbiased, it goes directly through it. And so the whole 16 to 18 hours is a bit of a misnomer because all it means is how quickly do you glycogen deplete, right? And act, they, most doctors do not take into account bioindividuality. That's why integrative health practitioners are different. I'm glycogen depleted when I wake up in the morning. That's not the case for like everybody, but it's my body type. I glycogen deplete faster. I go through glucose much faster. I can eat more carbohydrates. Some people can't. Some people don't get into that first phase instead of 18 hours, not till 24 hours, not till a little bit longer. So they actually need then a you know walk in the morning or exercise in the morning to glycogen deplete like it's different for them for me i'll actually go into more hypoglycemia if i were to exercise in the morning so it really based based on the individual but yes you get more benefits at 24 hours 48 hours and 72 hours but you don't do that every day right that would mean you never eat right. so right. that's why yeah. as ihps <laughs> we have our daily intermittent fast of 12 to 16 hours we have a weekly intermittent fast of maybe dinner Sunday night to to dinner Monday night. You still have dinner every night. And that could be a one-day reset diet, or it could be you know a water fast or herbal tea, whatever you like. And then we have a quarterly, right? And that's the three-day. That's the functional medicine detox that we do. And although it's not strict water, what are you getting? You're literally getting almost no carbs, almost no fat, only seven grams of protein, 
per shake, which is the amino acids, just to make sure that a lot of people don't drop into too much of a catabolic state and also that they don't have massive Herxheimer reactions, right? So that's why we do that. And that's when you get then the three days, right? It's almost 72 hours, Sunday night to Wednesday at noon. It's Mm -hmm. almost 72 hours. So you get those big benefits then every single quarter. And then some people, they might even do a longer one once a year, and that should be more supervised if they're going to do that. Okay. And we'll link up that episode in the show notes for sure. Yeah. So I agree with what everybody says. It's just, you can't do that on a daily basis. It's a Western mindset that people take things too far. And there's also no bioindividuality, which is why in an ideal world, you actually work with an IHP to help set up a program for you, right? So that it's bioindividualized for you. Because if all you're going by is what your friend did, how do you know that you have the same genes, epigenetics, and current phenotype, right? That your friend has. So that's why some things work for some people and some work for another. Agree. And that's where when I see people on Instagram and social media sharing what they do as the, you know, the Bible, if you will, of how to eat, it just drives me crazy because I think it makes people feel bad. And then, you know, and like you said, you, you build up slowly. You don't just start doing a daily 16 hour fast and you have to figure out and work, work with someone ideally, you know, to do your own like science experiments on your body and figure out what works for you. And I think, you know, Marnie and I have having done the detox with so many people in our community, you know, the first time they do it, like you said, it seems overwhelming. And then they are like so proud of themselves for getting through, even if they just do a one day fast and then just the clean eating as well. And the 12 hour, and it becomes all of a sudden, just like part of their, you know, part of their life and their routine, but it's building up and figuring out what works for you. So that was such great insight and kind of like, a dovetailing into another macro we haven't really talked about. I know we just talked more about like the carbohydrate side of what about protein? Because this is something Marnie and I have talked about with quite a few guests on our podcast. And there's a lot of different views on that. And so we'd love for you to share your thoughts on how much protein specifically women need to eat and does it change based on age and their your activity level and just overall what your health goals are. Yeah. And, and a lot of times I don't, I don't even know why there is so much disputes on all these different things. I really don't. Like it's really clear, like in the science, like it's really clear. It's just that people want to become known for something. And I don't care to become known for something. Like I really don't. It's just about teaching people about their bioindividuality. And the truth is there's there's three different zones of protein that you could be in. There's the one gram of protein per ideal pound of body weight, right? And that's what's being preached right now. Uh, I've been in this industry since the mid nineties, I've seen everything come and go. It's like fashion trends. It's the same thing with diet and fitness. It really is. It's the same exact thing. So I'm like, Oh, like I've been down this road before the keto diet. That's a whole, looks a whole lot like Atkins and the carnivore diet. Well, that looks kind of like basically a lot like the same because people aren't even looking at the large amount of fat they're getting from all of the meat based they're eating. Okay. Like we've seen, we've been down this road before. So here's the thing. When I started out my career as a a personal trainer, strength conditionist, and nutritionist, everybody I worked with was on one gram of protein per ideal pound of body weight. And then after that, all we did was mix in some healthy fats and some vegetables. And guess what? People's body transformation was incredible. We did zero advertising. We got lots of referrals because back in the mid-90s, that was like, oh, is paleo diet before the paleo diet started? Okay. So the very best way to transform your body is one gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight. And the reason is, is that protein's highly thermogenic. 
you don't even use all the calories that you take in because it gets burnt up because it's so hard to actually digest and break down protein. And it's also satiated and it helps to balance out blood sugar for the most part. And what do you also do? Well, you cut out then carbohydrates, but most likely they were processed carbohydrates before that. So here's the thing though, what gets you to great body transformation does not allow you to live a long, healthy life. That's the problem. And people have to understand what's called the disposable soma theory of aging and the triage theory on aging. And I podcast on those as well. Because when you begin to understand that when you prioritize reproductive health, which is what the body transformation is, which is basically anabolism, right? Building up the metabolism, the muscle, always making sure you're fueled right for your body. Then you begin to then triage. So you don't take care of then the other facets of the body and you keep mTOR going. And I don't know that we have time to kind of get all of this like in. And when mTOR is high from all the protein that you're eating, typically you're going to have higher levels of growth hormone as well. And then you're going to have lower levels of autophagy, which is the whole point that we're trying to get into for detoxing and fasting and lower levels of AMPK. And so all of these new drugs that people are talking about, metformin, not for diabetics, but for actually longevity and rapamycin. Well, what is rapamycin? It literally decreases mTOR. And so we've got the same people preaching one gram <laughs> per pound of body weight while at the same time saying you should take mTOR. And there are doctors saying this. I mean, you should take rapamycin. It makes no sense. So the longest lived people in the world, their diet was 10 to 15% maximum protein for macros. And they were slightly hypocaloric. And they did have an average of like a 12 to 14 hour, maybe a little bit longer fast per day. These are the longest lived people in the world across all countries and all continents. And the reason is that keeps then their growth hormone levels lower, their AMPK levels higher, their mTOR lower. And I think I said IGF-1, IGF-1 lower as well. So AMPK, autophagy, they're prioritizing that which is then allowing for the repair and cleanup of the body, which is more catabolic. And you can take it too far, don't get me wrong, versus the anabolic. So you can look at it as 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. That's basically a little less than half of your body weight in protein per day. That's for the longevity. The body transformation, you want your physical body to be in the best shape possible. That's one gram per you know, pound of body weight or ideal body weight. And then I have something what I call a compromise. I don't want to wither away like my muscle mass and my metabolism and my strength. So what I do is about not 15 to 20% maximum protein out of my macros per day, if that makes sense. And what that usually works out for most people is somewhere like to like 1.2 or so grams per kilogram of body weight. So it's like, I, there is no exact measurement because it's not just half your body weight. It's a little bit more than half your body weight where the longevity diet is a little bit less than half your body weight, but it's nowhere near one gram per pound of body, ideal body weight. So for me, I weigh 165 or so pounds. We'll say I would have to eat 165 grams of protein per day. I've done that before. I've eaten 200 plus grams of protein per day, transfer my body, build up more muscle, all that disastrous for my health in the long run. And then I've also eaten very low, uh, which ends up depleting my energy, not right away, but over time. It actually helps people in the short term because protein is so hard to digest. It uses so much of your energy, right? So people think that's the answer, but then over time they get weaker and weaker and weaker. Like a lot of times, unfortunately on a vegan diet, and it's not that I'm against a vegan diet. It's just, it has to be really meticulous in order to be able to you know, feel great overall. A little bit of meat, fish, or eggs can do all wonders for people. So that was kind of a long answer. But again, there's there's not really a dispute. Like, yes, those people are correct. These people are correct. What's your goal? That's what I ask people. 
So I actually think that was a wonderful explanation. You know, I've heard the one gram per ideal pound of body weight a lot lately, and I have been trying to do that myself. And my body is telling me no, and has been telling me no, because it feels like it's too much protein. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what I'm hearing you say is you got to figure out what's good for you. And I hadn't heard, you know, like the longevity amount and the what was the other one you said? The compromise. The compromise. That's just so, what I call it because yeah, it's like, no, I want but, something in, in between. Because I, you want to build the muscle, but yes. I also want to feel like inside. It just, I was like forcing myself to try and eat all this protein that was too much for me. So and if you look at it, it can lead to, I mean, it can lead to a lot of things, but the, the truth is this is, is that, you know, why are you doing this? That's when we need to ask people. And also like, I understand you're going to get people great results. Like we did that. We had blood sugar levels come down. We were really helping people with that diet. So it's not that it doesn't have a time and a place. It has a time and a place. So that's what I'm saying. In the short term, do whatever you want to do in order to achieve your goal. So in my early 20s, my goal, well, I'm 5'8". My goal is to be 5'8", 200 pounds, muscle. That was a big goal. I had to eat a lot more calories and a lot more protein. And I reached it. I felt terrible when I was there. That was not the best thing for my body, right? So then I said, okay, is there something in between? Is there a different goal than this? And a lot of people then just swing the opposite direction. It's typically not any either side of the pendulum. It's usually somewhere in the middle. And I just want to say one more thing. If you look at anybody in past cultures, the people who had the richest diets did not live as long as the people with meager-based diets. It was, it's very interesting to look at that. Now, again, there's disease when you eat too little and too few nutrients. That, that is absolutely the case. And I don't want to say that. But the people who had the access to the wine and the meats and all that, they didn't live a very long life. Right. And that's true. So I know that we're running out of time here and we have thrown a lot of information at the audience. Um, one thing Stephanie and I both love are your Motivation Monday episodes on your podcast. And they're just so short and inspirational and it's a great way to start off the week. And what are some things you can tell at, tell our listeners, you know, or talk to them about in terms of them just wanting to get started, setting, achieving goals? Yeah. I mean, the first thing is you have to believe. And a lot of times it's hard for people to believe because they've lived 40 years on this planet or more of being told what's achievable and what's not achievable. And I was there, same thing, you know, like all throughout my early, like up to my early 20s. And then I started to read and I saw different viewpoints. And then that did one thing for me. Didn't I didn't believe because I was the biggest skeptic out there. It allowed me to simply suspend disbelief. That's what I call it, right? So it just leaves a space open for possibility. Like, I don't know if this is really true. Like I'm listening to Dr. Cabral and I don't know if all this is made up. I get it and I understand. But simply just like suspend disbelief and then begin to do some of your own research to say, is it possible? Has someone else ever done this before? And if they have, it means it's replicable. It really does. And so then you start need to get to a point of, and I didn't make up any of this. It's just many years of, of study. It is a philosophy of the be, do, get. First, you need to become and be the person worthy of actually 
achieving the end goal, overcoming a health issue. Let's just call it an autoimmune issue. Okay. So you need to be that person in both mind and body. That first just means believing, be, believe. Okay. I can do this. I don't know how, but you know, Marnie and Stephanie can provide me with a plan as to how to do that. And I'm going to follow it as a good student. Great. That's all that you need to do. Then that's the do. First, you need to believe because you will not follow through and do the do unless you believe, right? Or at least spend disbelief. Marnie and Stephanie have helped people before. I want to get that same help. I'm going to do it. Great. So then they follow the plan. That is the do. And if, when they are on the plan, here's what's going to happen. They're going to get great results. They're going to get great results. They're going to get great results. They're going to hit an obstacle. They're going to hit a challenge. Do they give up? Yes or no. If you are being, then you're going to say, what do I do? Right? What do I do now? I plateaued in weight. I did this. I did that. Okay. And then you're going to help them with the tweak because nothing's perfect in life. Right? So then after they've made through a couple of challenges, three to six months go by, they get, they get the goal that they wanted was to have the wellness, the energy, and the vitality that they never even knew existed for them in life. So the be, do, get formula works for everybody. It's just oftentimes we miss the first step. So inspirational. And we highly recommend that people listen to your Motivational Monday podcast episodes because you're going to get more of this. And we'll link up everything we talked about in the show notes, Dr. Cabral, and where people can find you and all that, because we know we are short on time. But one question that we love to end all of our episodes with is what does the art of living well mean to you? And I know you answered this before, and it could be different, you know, two years ago than today. Yeah. Well, I don't remember my answer from two years ago, yeah. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you this. It's the art of living well is living a life that you actually look forward to waking up each morning and to that day. Some people dread when the alarm clock goes up or, or off or they have to wake up, right? For me, there's no alarm clock. I'm ready to start the day somewhere between 5.30 and 6 a.m. My body wakes me up and I'm excited about the day. There's something to look forward to. People, people who don't have something to look forward to in their life, all the talk we did about body transformation, wellness, anti-aging, life extension, they're not going to do it. So you need to find something in your life that allows you to look forward to it, even if it's not your whole life, something about that day. And so to me, the more things you look forward to in your day, the more hours out of the 16 hours that you're awake that you look forward to, to me, that's a life well-lived. That's beautiful and so inspirational. And I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yes. Appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Cabral, for coming on again. And yeah, we just... We appreciate all your insight and it was fun learning a lot. I learned a lot from you just in this, you know, 45 minute conversation today. So Thank and we'll you. look My, forward to meeting you in Florida. I was just going to say, yes. if, if uh, anybody's interested, we are holding an event this October where it's not just me. We have 16 speakers that are going deep on all of these topics, everything from holistic dentistry to stress, heart rate variability, inspirational-based talks, brand new health tech, a lot of the vitality tests that we talked about. And that's just um, over at reimagininghealthevent.com. And of course, you know your community is invited. Yes. And we will link all that up in the show notes. It's in Florida in October. Yes. So we would love to see more people from our community there as well. It'd be amazing. Yes. Yeah. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. 
you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook, where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well. Thank you.